This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Overdraft fees are just the worst. Get up to 200 in fee-free overdraft with the Chime checking account. Sign up today at Chime.com slash Goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And welcome to the 1912 Exiles podcast, the Newport County podcast made by the fans for the fans. This is the first part of our Christmas special. Next week, we will have an extended discussion from our regulars about each of our all-time favourite County 11s. This week, the plan was to bring you Ian's match diary from Hartlepool's, which of course fell foul of the weather. But we do still have a look ahead to our Boxing Day clash at AFC Wimbledon. Coming up, as well as insights from some outside experts, uh, where we invite Chris Kerwin from South Wales Argus and Martin Phillips, uh, aka Exiles Analysis Man, to talk about the transition from Robery Ball to the GCOC era. It's a fascinating listen, and we hope it will provide you with entertainment as you drive down to your in laws with the car packed to the gunnels with presents. But first up, it is a genuine pleasure to welcome to the podcast my good friend Rob, an AFC Wimbledon season ticket holder, but one who grew up in South Wales. So, uh, hello, Rob. Yep, hello. First up, what is a nice lad like you doing supporting the Wombles? Uh, That's a great question. Family, really, uh, didn't have a choice given AFC Wimbledon or rather Wimbledon FC at the time as, uh, as the team to support. Uh, when I was about three years old, and you don't really have much autonomy at that age, so I, it, it stuck. What I would say, I was I was growing up in South Wales at the time, so I've seen most of the uh, South Wales league sides, especially those based in the English Pyramid. I did follow Merthyr Tydfil before they were Merthyr Town um, through kind of the late 80s and early 90s as well. I should also say I do have a big I do have a big soft spot for Newport. So uh, as as you know, I grew up in South Wales, um, and actually I'm coming down in January for the return fixture at Rodney Parade, which probably means that I would have been uh, to Somerton Park, Spitty Park, and Rodney Parade, which I think probably puts me in a rare category of uh, of opposition fans. So what, it means you're doing better than most of our panel. I've got to be honest. So uh, yeah, that's a that's a proper spotter's badge. Uh, yeah, I'm, I've I've also watched uh, watched Newport with you at several levels, including at the Conference South level, where I think I may have caught a team with Big Julian Allsop 
and Jason Bowen in the starting 11. I'm going to stop you there because you're going to throw ahead and spoil all of our Christmas special next week where we talk about best county 11s. But yeah, both of those do get name checked as part of that. So yeah, we know we did, we did go and watch that one. Um, and my recollection of some of those games at the old, uh, Kings Meadow ground is that Newport tended to have a bit of the hex over AFC Wimbledon. Your memory is probably better than mine. The last time I remember the two teams meeting, I think ended in a, a 4-0 win at Spitty Park at the, at the conference level. I think in our second season at that level. But uh, yeah, I can't, I can't actually remember us meeting too often. Since. We have met in the league, but um, this will be the first visit of County to the new Plough Lane Stadium. What's what's that like as a ground? What should any visiting Newport fans be expecting on Boxing Day? So it looks great. I mean, obviously there was a bit of an ordeal getting that built, uh, and obviously it opened during COVID. So actually, the first game there had no fans in it. When we did eventually get into the stadium to watch games last season, it was I think it was everything that that we hoped it would be. Is there's some finishing touches that are needed, but it's a it's a really nice enclosed uh, ground for kind of four four stands, uh, one main stand. The away end has some really good acoustics, so depending on how many uh, counties get up, uh, usually quite a lot of noise manages to come out of the away end because of the acoustics. It's quite easy to. Get to uh, for the for the home fans, there's a street food market, which I know one of your friends, uh, when they went and visited recently, was very impressed with. It's just nice nice to have a home game, I think, really. You know, we'd spent a long time at Selhurst Park and then a long time at Kings Meadow, so it's just kind of nice to have, have something that's ours. But on the whole, I, I think they've done it done a pretty good job. I mean, how's this season going against expectations? Because, um, you know, our last uh, match was against Doncaster, who just came down along with you, and they seem to have solidified a little bit, certainly enough to beat County. You, you're also kind of mid-table, but looking probably more upwards and downwards. How, how have you found life in the fourth division? I see two parts to that question. The first, you know, how is it going and the second is expectations. In terms of how is the season going, I'd say not bad at the moment. I expected us to be hovering around 15th and we're 12th. Um, given we came into this season having been relegated and on a 27-game run without a win that went back to the 7th of December 2021, um, which is still pretty astonishing to say out loud, I'm personally quite happy with where it is at the moment. So we've kind of stabilised. Last season was absolutely the worst Wimbledon team I've ever seen. And that included the season we nearly went out of the league about 10 years ago. So anything that improved on last season, I'd been relatively content with. And, and, and I am. And on expectations, the board were making noises about us having a promotion level budget at the start of the season, which I think was pretty silly and has since proven to be. Uh, they've then quietly revised that and said that we have a budget of between 12th and 14th, <laughs> which just so happens to be where we are. So, you know, funny that. <laughs> and in terms of form, like us, you uh, you didn't play this weekend. You, you were down to play Steve and I think it was, and that was called off. 
Um, but how how is form coming into the game? What sort of expectations are there of you know how Wimbledon will get on on Boxing Day in front of I'm guessing a, a reasonably good crowd? Yeah, so we're third in the form table based on the last six games. We're eight games unbeaten in the league, and we have five clean sheets in a row in the league. You know, our manager Johnny Jackson picked up. November manager of the month for League Two and AU Basal, one of our forwards, picked up young player of the month for November. So I think probably fair to say we're one of the form teams in the league. That doesn't really tell the whole story, though. I mean, before that, we were on a very, very poor run and we looked limp and, and quite easy to neutralise. Jackson switched to a back four from a back three and went more direct and and a bit more pragmatic. I suspect that was a bit more luck than by design because of injuries and players missing. That meant he basically was picking who was available, but it seemed to work. And and I think the way he might spin it is that he he's shown he can adapt. Uh, I would say we're probably slight favourites for the game. But county tend to be quite solid from what I can see. Um, but then so we, based on a run of clean sheets and a pretty rugged and attritional defensive display last time at Swindon and before that at home to Grimsby. So I, I don't go to games dreading it anymore or expecting us to lose. So I'd say relative to last year, I'm, I'm relatively confident. And who ought we to be looking out for in the current outer Wimbledon squad? Similar to to first question, I'll come from that from two angles. So who to look out for and who you're going to notice, regardless of whether you're looking out for them. (laughs) Um, Our best performer overall this season, probably the left-back Jack Curry. He broke through from the academy this season. He's been been very, very good, uh, very good defensively, despite his size he also causes quite a few problems going forward Aubasal is also a bit of a nuisance he's absolutely tiny um and a winger he's and generally just an absolute pest he's very quick very tricky tends to get kicked up in the air quite a lot but he's in pretty good form scoring and and he's going to cause probably going to cause county a few problems the one you'll notice whether you like it or not I don't know if you've ever come across him in the low leagues, is Harry Pell. Uh, he's, I've certainly heard you speak of him, and I, I think we probably have crossed paths with him before. So he's an absolute nuisance, um, probably for different reasons than, than AU. Um, he'll, he's almost certainly going to try and wind up opposition players uh, when we meet. He'll probably wind up your fans even more. He's pretty physical, but... Even so, he spends most of the time on the floor buying free kicks. He is a threat in the air. Um, He's got a couple of goals this season. You'll notice him and you'll probably end up hating him. Honourable mention for Alex Woodyard. He's probably my favourite player. Uh, Defensive screen in front of the midfield. Works pretty tirelessly. Wins the ball back and breaks up play. Isn't that just a description of everyone's favourite player, really, isn't it? so there's no coincidence that we got better when he came back in mid-October after quite a long injury. Um, so I would say probably those four, but one of them you're going to notice whether you want to or not. Um, I was looking back and we're sport for choice when it comes to 
players who played for both over over recent years. Um, the one who I've got to pick out, and again, this may be throwing ahead a little bit to next week in our uh, Christmas special, is uh, Ismail Yakubu, uh, who had notable spells with both teams. So um, what are AFC Wimbledon's memories of Ismail Yakubu? Oh, he was terrific. He, uh, he was terrific for us uh, in the conference. He scored one of the penalties in the in the conference playoff against Luton, uh, very very fondly remembered by Wimbledon fans. Probably most fondly remembered for the Forest Green Rovers uh, stadium announcer mispronouncing his name and forever then being known as Israel Yakamu. Um, <laughs> he's got a bit of form for that. The the Forest Green yeah, uh, yeah. stadium announcer. Um, there's a couple of other players. I mean. Lee Minchell, I think, yes. uh, played for both. He was very, very good for us and very fondly remembered as well. Kevin Cooper, I think, who played for the original uh, Wimbledon FC and then as he dropped down the leagues after it, I think he stayed in South Wales after he played for Cardiff. And I think he ended up turning up. Yeah, 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 he definitely has. Yeah. And Dean Holdsworth as well, Holds, who, yeah. um, who's in a lot better shape uh, when he was playing for us than when I saw him managing you. I think it's fair to say. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there are a lot of names in this uh, podcast that are going to come back in a week's time when we do our favourite uh, County 11s. And I guess it just sort of underlines the the character of the sort of players who we tend to get from uh, FC Wimbledon, which sort of brings me on to one of the other things I was going to ask you, because AFC, AFC Wimbledon and County both obviously... Um, Phoenix clubs, fan-owned, they both battled against a lot of adversity over the last 20, 30 years. But it always seems to me that the media and kind of general fan culture have this massive crush on AFC Wimbledon that they don't seem to share for county. And I just wondered, A, whether you think that's fair, and B, if you do, why you think that might be? I do think that's fair. Um, I think it's a mixture of things that probably explains that. I think the circumstances of what happened and the background of both clubs is different. What happened to Wimbledon in 2002, I mean, they were a very recent Premier League team, so they were probably more visible mm. at the time. They also had quite an established identity, which meant that you know everybody knew who Wimbledon were and kind of the, the uh, you know famous players and, and the story. And then, you know, the circumstances of what, what happened with the the kind of the move to Milton Keynes remain extraordinary, kind of in the true sense of the word. You know, it's not happened since, and it's I, I doubt it will ever happen again. It kind of remains really a stain on English football that it did happen. That obviously got attention, and it was happening to a club that already had kind of a, a public identity and, and was pretty well known. So. Uh, combined with that, I think you know, a lot of people thought that you know, we were the victim of something that was kind of object- objectively really, really bad. Uh, the flip side, obviously, remember, is that you know, as much as people may have a crush on us, um, everybody hates the franchise as well. So that you know, that's the flip side. What kind of what makes that quite delicious now is that it's clearly been a complete failure. Uh, that entire project, uh, you know. After that, us starting at the very bottom and making it to the league is kind of a story that obviously the media would 
gravitate towards i think that probably explains some of it but then i would say and concede that i think the club is often probably a bit smug uh about it and does does kind of buy into buy into the story itself and milk it a bit i mean last season the the running tagline for when we returned to plough lane was that AFC Wimbledon was in quotes the greatest story in football which kind of grated on me a bit when I was going to watch a team that hadn't won in over 20 games and was <laughs> you know, running towards relegation with a big beaming smile on our faces uh, it didn't it didn't really match up to what I was what I was seeing I don't like that attitude I have to be honest I'd rather we just got on with things now uh maybe we lack a purpose now that we're back in the league and and now that we're back at plow lane you know those two those two things have been achieved but i think it's time for us to stop congratulating ourselves and and kind of professionalize and move on i I still think that the franchise are an empty shell of a football club that's kind of covered in a fog of everyone else's contempt but i also think that it's time for us to to kind of move on and just just get on with things now what what an answer that is! Um, yeah, I, I think we'd uh, we, we'd probably agree with that. And um, yeah, that your contempt for uh, that team at Milton Keynes is is shared. And I don't know whether you caught uh, Ian's match diary from our uh, Spot Fan Trophy game there a few weeks back. But um, yeah, I think the the sum of that was nice ground, pointless club. I mean, he probably had the whole run of the stadium to himself. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I'm going to push you for a score prediction for Boxing Day. What's going to happen, Rob? I think 1-1, but nobody will walk away from the game having been entertained. (laughs) That's the sort of festive cheer that we'd like to have on this programme. And of course, yeah, you alluded to it earlier. Our sides meet again on the 21st of uh, January at Rodney Parade. And I think the plan is that you and I are going to have an all-dayer on that and uh, possibly record a match diary as we go. Yeah, looking forward to that. That'll be great. Uh, complete the collection of Newport County grounds. Excellent. Very much looking forward to it. Let's zoom out a little bit. It's been a funny old season for County so far. Trying to make a go of Robbery Ball, realising it wasn't working, transitioning to a more direct and more pragmatic brand of football under Graham Coughlin and getting the points on the board to hopefully secure league football at Rodney Parade again next season. But what else has the change signified? Well, you've probably heard more than enough from our usual contributors about what we make of it. So let's bring in some expert voices to give their perspective and insights. It's a glorious return to the 1912 Exiles for two friends of the pod. Martin Phillips, a.k.a. Exiles Analysis Man, and Chris Kerwin, sports writer from the South Wales Argus. Good evening, gents. Good evening. Before we get started, and just to set the scene, we're recording this the day after the uh, defeat at home to Doncaster. So that's the context. But the plan is to take a a helicopter view of the first half of the season as a whole. Um, And maybe let's start with you, Chris, because you get to see a lot more of what goes on than, uh, than we do. And you've seen a few county managers uh, in your time, as well as a few transitions from one to the other. So how well do you think that very difficult sacking of James Robery was handled, given how hard it was for everyone to to see him struggle? And what have you made so far from your interactions with the man we're calling Geecock? Yeah, it was a decision by the, the board that I, I'm not, there was a bit of reluctance that that they had to make that call on, on James Robery. They obviously 
backed him only only a year earlier. Ideally, they would have liked to, I think, let him get get through that that sort of blip. But but those home games left a, a call needing to be made. Um, the early days of Cochrane, he's he's gone back to basics. That's clear. County will be will be safe, but I think they would have been under Robry anyway. The question will be where, how can Cochrane take them forward from here from after his pragmatic start? We want to see it evolve, don't we? I think everyone wants to see that, and he's saying that himself with his um, you know sort of crawl, walk, run mantra. And we we do need to see more. I think that's that's clear. But the the, the results have been been good, haven't they? At the start of the the regime, even if some, you know some of the football hasn't exactly been the most enthralling. Yeah, and I, I'm sure we'll. Talk in a bit more detail about it later on, and and yeah, you look at some of those. It, it's been a real mixed bag, you know. You've had games like the one against Doncaster that have been poor. I think some of the best performances perhaps have been on the road. You know, people who were there at Crew were, were raving about how we reacted to going a goal behind and showed real character. Um, but it's it's perhaps the consistency that is the the thing that we need to start to find. Martin, I mean, I'm interested in terms of style. You were always very full of praise for what James Robry was trying to do with County and for the way he talked about the game. When did you start to think that maybe it just wasn't going to work with the players that he had at his disposal? Or did you actually agree with uh, with Ian in thinking that, that County made the change too quickly? I do agree with Ian, actually. I thought the change did come a bit quick. I thought, I, I don't even know how many games we were into the season, but I won't say it was a surprise that it happened because... These, it's exactly what you you really expect from a football club and a man, manager under pressure. Uh, I think it was made too early because everybody cares about results. Nobody cares about underlying numbers. But at the beginning of the season, underlying numbers were good. So if maybe the first five, six games, things weren't really looking too bad. Um, we were unlucky. We conceded on goals. Um, we were conceding goals from long range. I, th- I think maybe it was his downfall. It was, it was just basically things kind of worked against him. We, we weren't winning at home and, and obviously the home fans, there's more home fans than there are away fans. So the voice is very loud at home when you're not winning and everybody's discontent came to the forefront. There's a lot of contributing factors, obviously, that were, that were happening around the time. Um, recruitment. Yeah. Lots of questions about recruitment. Um not a lot of people maybe agree with some of the players that were brought in. And you can see it with, with kind of the minutes that people have got. You know, like Zim, Zimba's paid, what, 7% of minutes. Uh, Lindley's 13. Bowen's like 15. You know, these are these are players that he brought in um, or certainly the director of football brought in. But big, big losses in, in Zanzala and Wildig. I think they were going to be two big players in this regime. And... Um, he was unable to call upon them. Even Farquharson, he wasn't able to bring him into the team because he was constantly injured. And obviously now we're watching him and he's looking good. Mm. Um, I think all contributing factors, really. Yeah, I mean, I think the the home the home form and the home defeats, particularly the poor home results we had against some of the teams who were towards the bottom, I think was a, a big factor in some of it. You know, if you have a few bad results away from home, but you win the critical games at home against the strugglers then you know people can probably be persuaded i think it was the the poor results against the likes of colchester that um that i think was was the push factor and it just i I certainly felt that there was right towards the end of his time in some of those last couple of games at home 
there was a, a, a sea change in the crowd and that, you know, it wasn't just the usual couple of loudmouths who call for a manager to go as soon as you have, you know, you, you can see the throw in. It was, there was a shift in opinion of, hang on, are, are we now into a kind of death spiral? But um, but I think Chris is probably right that we we may well have rallied, particularly when, yeah, the likes of Zandala and Wildig and Farquharson came back and uh, maybe found some form. But um, But I think the danger was that waiting to find out might have left it um a little bit too late i suppose J- yeah. just on that point about recruitment i mean because uh, again one of the questions that we've asked a few times on the pod is um is this a poor team or is it a good team that needed someone to bring them together and if it's the latter which i think probably the consensus is is you know that's the case that it's a half decent team but it it needed someone to rally them and get them playing in a way that they understood and that worked what do you think has been the the change under Coughlin that has made that happen i i got a lot of numbers to reel off <laughs> I, I could be a that's what time. we brought you on for martin it, it's in terms of the recruitment i think it's a it's a mixed bag it's not a bad team i think the remaining players from the previous uh season and seasons before that are strong players you know seasoned uh Football League players with a lot of talent, a lot of experience. There's there's maybe a handful of players that have come in who don't look up to the task, whether that's down to the fact that either A, we can't compete in the transfer market because we can't pay the wages, or B, we panicked um, because we were unable to get any of the targets that we had. And let's face it, we probably wouldn't have got nine out of ten of our targets because we can't pay the wages that other clubs can pay teams like Salford and and even Stockport County, you know, clubs like that can pay money that we can't. I think I think we've got a mixed a mixed bag. There's probably a handful of players where you could say maybe they're, they're just not good enough. And this squad is good enough to compete, but it's not good enough to probably compete in the top half of the league or get into the playoffs, I don't think. But looking at what has changed, there's a lot has changed and the fans will all look at the positive results and uh, they're, the, they're the things that stand out and you're going to see them first and foremost. I, I'm not going to lie, I have not enjoyed watching the football one bit. We're looking like this long ball team. We're in this pot with Stevenage, Sutton, Walsall. He's basically turned us into what, Mike Flynn's new book county, which wasn't a bad thing, but it wasn't pretty at times. But on the positive side, he has made big changes to our attacking output and our defensive output. So if you were looking at... Our expected goals since he took over has gone up. We were like in the lower sort of percentiles, 16%, something like that. And he's taken us up to the sort of top 20 percentile. Um, so 1.3 XG per game or something like that, which is good. Obviously, we're taking one more shot per game since um, Coughlin's come in. Shot distance. We're shooting from closer to goal now than we were under Robbery. Set-piece goals has pretty much doubled with probably the best set-piece goal team in the league or one of the set-piece goal team in the league. Interestingly, we're probably the best throw-in, you know, shots and goals from throw-ins in the entire of the UK. Um, You wait for the January transfer window bid for Mickey Dimitriou on the back of that stat. (laughs) Possession, though, possession's gone down. So uh, possession's gone from around 46% under James to like 43% under um, Coco, which... Puts us probably into the 
worst team in the league for pass completion. I think we've got 56% pass completion since um, he's taken over, whereas before we were around 64%. So people will probably say, yeah, but we were passing aimlessly round at the back and that's why we were completing passes. But I think if you're watching the games, you know full well that our pass completion is horrendous and there's a big reason for that. It's because we're going very direct, very early and we're relying on a couple of players to try and hold the ball up. Open play passes, we're probably making about 50 passes a game less than we were before in open play, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. It is quite a lot in terms of possession. In a passing sense, basically, at the moment, in the past sort of however many league games he's been in charge, you can stick us in that cluster with Sutton and Stevenage. And when we played Stevenage, I don't know what you thought about them. They're very effective, but it's not pretty on the eye. They, they play in the final third and that's what he's turned us into. We don't want the ball in our own half. So as soon as we can get it into the opposition's half, that's what he wants us to do. Defensively, he's turned us into a bit of a beast. Since he's come in, we've pretty much got the best expected goals conceded in the league. Teams just are not getting good chances against us. We've conceded one of, if not the fewest, goals per game since he's come in as well. We're a lot more resilient. There's a better team structure. We don't have the ball in our final third. We get rid of it and we're not in pressure. We're not going to be under pressure because we don't have the ball in our final third. Opposition pass completion, which is pretty good metric. We're very disruptive to the opposition now as opposed to maybe when James was in charge. So teams were completing their passes around 71%. Now they're completing them around 66% of the time, which means basically we're more disruptive to teams. We're causing them more problems and they're unable to, to get their game going against us, which is obviously a, a bonus. But we're a bit more passive. So we'll let teams pass a bit more before we actually try and engage. So, you know, passes per defensive action. We're allowing teams um, a, few, a little bit more time on the ball and more passes before I actually try to engage. <clears throat> but teams are unable to sort of progress into our final third as well as they used to. So what he's done is he's sort of, sort of set out his stall. Um, there's more structure. It's not as gung-ho. So mm. whereas James liked the team to maybe press in certain areas of the pitch or counter-press when we lose the ball, it's not really like that under Coughlin. The team sits into a structure, the players know their positions, their roles, and they very rarely stand, step outside of that when the opposition is in control of the ball. Um, and that's made us a very hard team to beat defensively. I think interesting, though, that we talk about the Robry era, and I, there were two parts to his era, because last season was very different to the way he started this this season, where he had gone to a more pragmatic approach. The, the Cochran 5-3-2 was something... Robri was using, albeit in a slightly different way. Robri tried to take on board some of the lessons he had learned in that sticky, sticky end to the season. It just didn't work. With a, a number of injuries in key parts, uh, disrupted that. Zanzala was undoubtedly a big blow. And then, in terms of recruitment, a, a host of loan targets didn't happen. I don't even think he would have struck as lucky as Cooper or as as, but he wanted something, something there. The Zanzala injury led to him getting. Nevers, um, which hasn't quite worked under under Coughlin. Mariah Welsh, who has actually been, I think, one of the, the, the brighter sparks. How he was going to use him would have been interesting. I don't know. He could have been pushing him maybe further forward and how he was going to use that. So I think Robry tried to be a bit more pragmatic and organised, but he was killed by individual mistakes, which is probably where, as Martin was saying, 
the Coughlin, we don't play in our, we don't even risk any errors. We get rid, and that's where it it comes into it. I mean, we we saw saw um, in the Doncaster game, Barker's error nearly nearly resulted in a, in a goal. And those sorts of moments were happening an awful lot, weren't they? Um, at the start of the season, so it's, I think it's that sort of no nonsense approach from Coughlin's probably where I think the difference defensively. You get your foundations by not taking any risks. You do your job. And sort of see where that gets you. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's certainly the first goal in any game of this Newport team is massively important because if we get it, we are incredibly good at managing the game, almost frustratingly so. Where you know you might be one nil up at home and you're kicking balls towards the corner um, to to try and defend a, a lead rather than going for a second. But equally, if the opposition score against us, then teams find it relatively easy to manage. Uh, manage our threats so you know whereas under particularly the early part of the Robri era where the first goal didn't really matter because there'd probably be another five um, the first goal in, under the Coughlin era is uh, kind of critical more often than not uh, and, and I mean on that point Chris you know a lot of us have made our peace with this this brand of football because it has steadied the ship and and it it will steer us I think towards uh, safety but equally, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, there are some grumbles from um, from fans and season ticket holders who've said, you know, we we kind of want a bit of reassurance that this style of play is going to evolve and going to improve, um, so that we'll kind of sign up in in the the long term to the Cockland project. What have you heard from him about his aspirations beyond this season? And do you think that prettier football is something that that will be on the horizon before too long? I think undoubtedly he wants to play better football. I think you know, and be more expansive, but it's 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 going to be a very slow process because I think that that crew second half was really encouraging. They did pop it round as ever. You can look into that and say how bad were crew. We you know how did that play into it? But they did move it round. We saw sort of Drysdale getting forward certainly more, which is that that's encouraging that they're not just sitting there. But it it will come down to I think it, you've just got to get away from even the, the hint of trouble first, haven't you? And what he does with two windows is going to be interesting, isn't it? Because there are a lot of stalwarts there that he's, he'll be having a look at and do he move on from them? I don't know. Um, January, I, I, I just don't think it's it's wise to rush into anything. What, what he does with the low knees will be interesting um, and what sort of a player he targets. I think he's going to be very targeted with what he brings in. Midfield does need, does need addressing, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it certainly took Mike Flynn a fair time before he sought to evolve his playing style. And, you know, that was helped by the changes to the pitch, I guess, as well. Mm. But um, he was very much, don't don't go quicker than the squad that you've got will allow you to go. And I suspect we'll probably see the same under Coughlin. Just on that point about the transfer window, because I, uh, there was a, a piece that you had in the Argus the other day where he was saying... When it's not going to be um, throw everything up in the air and, and go mad with signings. It's going to be bringing the right one or two. But do we think that we probably will see a number of those low knees depart and, and return to their parent clubs and maybe we'll have another roll of the dice? Because you look at the likes of Zimba, who we've mentioned, who hasn't really had the minutes, Lindley, who's out of favour, Nevers is out of favour, do we think there's a there's a reasonable chance that if that although we might try and make some additions, permanent additions to particularly in midfield, that we may also 
uh, yeah, have another go and see if we can find a, a, a gem or two in the loan market. I know that's harder in January, but is that on the cards, do you think? We're looking at it from a county point of view. You've got to look at it from Villa are going to be there going, well, why have we sent him there? It's going to work. It's going to work other ways, isn't it? Villa, West Ham, they're all going to be there. Apart from Bournemouth will be happy with what Mariah Welsh is yeah. getting because it's just minutes and men's football. Um, Adam Lewis has been been steady enough. I think there's enough there to to, to like. The others, are, it, it, it's just interesting, isn't it? Uh, clubs don't like players going out and not getting any any action, and that's that's been a case for too many of them. So I, I think there will be will be changes there. And then he's alluded to the fact of uh, bringing back Twamley. Um, yes. Um, which will be interesting because I'm not sure how. I'd, I'd love to see it, but how will he fit into this side? He's a very well, he's 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 smaller than weight, it seems. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how how can he fit into this sort of rugged side? That would be interesting. He, he is a talent from the very little I've I've seen him, and I'm not seen I've hardly seen anything in the flesh. But he, there is something there that is exciting. You'd like to you know, see a player taking people on, but how does that fit into this? You know, slow process that Cochrane's got coming. So. Yeah, it, it will be an interesting window, but it, it's probably it needs outs before ins because it is also a big squad. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, no question. How about you, Martin? If they, uh, if if the club said we, we're going to bring you in as a consultant over the next few weeks to advise on what we need to prioritise, what answer would you give them? I agree largely with Chris. Um, midfield is a is a bit of a factor. We we don't have any sort of controlling midfielder. A couple of the loan signings we've got. With all respect to them, you know, they're obviously very talented, the professional footballers, and, you know, we're not. Um, but they don't appear to be really in the picture or, or plans, whether it be ours or they weren't really playing before Cochrane took over. So, yeah, I'd expect one or two of the lone players to probably return to their parent club. I'd be looking at probably bringing in some better suited youth players. Um, he's probably going to know some people or players from Sheffield United. There's every chance that's the case. They do have a couple of youngsters there, one or two bagging goals. I wouldn't mind seeing a, a bit of a controlling young midfielder come in. Mariah Welsh is obviously, I'd see him more as a, a sort of attack-minded uh, player, whereas uh, Chris alluded to it then when he was saying about how would James have used him? Would he used him further up the pitch? Possibly, yeah. I'd maybe have looked at him in that 10 role potentially and brought more of a, a ball playing midfielder in who can sort of dictate the tempo, get hold of the ball. There's a couple of youngsters around who are probably due alone. Alone, um, it was a there's a like a Charlton player, Aaron Henley. Henry, he looks nice and tidy in a sort of Sheehan mold. Um, that's that's right. We look in just replace what we've got. We're not going to be able to sort of pay big wages or you know pay fees for players, and there aren't many players available on the free transfer market that you'd want to bring in. But it was yeah. interesting because the midfield one was. I know uh, Rodri was trying to get in um, the Labadee style player. It didn't happen on loan. He, that was one thing he he was looking at in addition to the ten. They, they just had yeah. an awful lot of problems with. The, the loans, there are certain regulations with regard to um, Welsh clubs being different to English clubs now that have come in. That have had, were an additional spanner in the works when trying to get these deals done, and they had a lot of unlucky, unlucky moments in in that transfer drive. Yeah, I, th- I think I think a lot of the targets were, were probably quite high le- high quality, high level targets. Maybe maybe a bit ambitious for for Newport County 
you know, as the kind of the stature of the club and the money that we've got. But the ambition that they probably had to bring some of these players it was good. It's not that we went out and had a bad transfer window. It is sort of, as you say, there were problems. Um, there were problems along the way and we wouldn't have been able to bring in our number one target in every occasion. Yeah, and, I, you know, we've talked about it before, but we were so spoiled last season with Azaz and Cooper, uh, you know, uh, and Kane as a threesome. I mean, we could go another 20 years and never have a, a year where you bring in three talents as, as good as them. So it was always going to be hard to fill that gap. Yeah, it does feel like it's a, a big window, though. And yeah, one where Darren Kelly will will earn his corn, as I think we said in a, a previous pod. On the subject of signings and how they've turned out, I've got to ask you, Martin, about Omar Bogle, who has come in for quite a lot of criticism in recent weeks. And and he himself has looked frustrated at times, sometimes with his teammates, but sometimes with himself as well. I, I wondered what you have made of Omar Bogle and whether you think some of that criticism is justified or not. No, I, I don't really think the the extent of the criticism he's had is justified at all. Um I think you've got to appreciate the job that he has been tasked with in order to sort of understand his his own frustration. And, and I think that the, the fans maybe need to be a bit empathetic with that. Is I mean, you can draw parallels between him and um, Jamil Matt when he was at the club. Both target men, both given specific uh, roles of being hit at every opportunity you know, being given the ball and, and being targeted in these specific areas of the pitch. And and it's not an easy role. Um, <clears throat> that, you know, a lot's expected, expected of you. If you want to receive the ball sort of in, in particular areas of the pitch, you've got to receive the ball. You're acting as a link-up man, so you've got to pass it off. And then you've got to get into another area of the pitch quickly. If you lose the ball, you've got to try and get it back. You know, I mean, there's... It's it's not easy for a target man, um, especially if there's nothing around you. And if you go forward quickly, like we do at the moment, quite a direct style of play, quite a fast-paced style of play, then players aren't going to be around you to help you, um, maybe to lay the ball off to, because the quicker you go forward, the less players are going to be around you. It's, it's kind of simple as that. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. There's been a couple of occasions where... If he had sort of you know, remonstrated less and carried on playing, he could have been in some good situations. But where I sit on the field, on the field, I don't sit on the field, where I sit <laughs> in the stands and uh, where other people sit, you can see that he gets manhandled quite a lot. And yeah. it is very difficult for him because he doesn't get the rub of the green um, probably as often as he should. Maybe takes one touch too many quite frequently, which might frustrate people instead of just laying off the simple ball. But that's what you get with him. He can do it. And if it, if if he was able to pull off half of the things he's trying, fans would appreciate it. If you don't try, you know, that's even worse, I think. I'd liken him to Jamil Matt. And Jamil Matt got a lot of stick for exactly the same type of stuff. If, if you go back to sort of even the season when Matt was playing well and he what he scored about 19 goals or something. He was still getting criticism because of the things he wasn't doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, for his size, maybe he doesn't win as many balls in the air than you'd expect him to win. But if he's constantly back to a defender, then nine times out of ten, the defender's going to win the ball anyway. It's only when the ball's come in sort of in front of him and he's in an attacking stance, you'd expect him to win the ball. If he's got his back to goal, Defender's going to win that nine times out of ten. So I think maybe you should be given a bit of leeway when he's when he's not winning these supposed aerial duels. We've got 
you've got your back to goal, you're not going to win it. It's as simple as that. Um, well, how about you, Chris? What, what's what's your take on uh, our talismanic frontman? Well, well, I copped a lot of flack for defending him in the Argus, but yeah, no, I, I just think he's um, yeah, he has his faults. He's a League Two striker, isn't he? Um, I, I think the criticism of his work rate is misplaced. Um, could he be doing more? He has. He's in on a bit of a drought, and he did miss. He has missed some big chances, um, but he still is the main threat. Um, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see as Zanzala gets closer to fitness. Mm. Will Zanzala go back to playing alongside him? That'd be interesting. I'd be amazed if it was Zanzala and Will Evans at his expense. But you, you never know, though. Um, he is a player that defenders don't like playing against. He is. He is tough to play against but then you know sometimes his body language can make him a target but then hey ho that's that's the way it is he's he's um in a, in a county side that is pretty structured and well drilled i think he's one player who you could see producing something that's out of the ordinary well he certainly did at the start of the season and and he has given us some great moments along the way but as you say he's in the middle of this kind of drought at the moment and um so much it's is... classic getting people around him is it? You know, if you're if you're the only, one of the few threats then you're going to have more people on you it's yeah. that's the way it is when they when county were playing well last season it's cuz you had cooper azaz telford baker richardson they were all they're all different threats weren't they in open play that that were there whereas um you know fingers crossed we'll see see more threats in the coming months i don't want to sound like this to doom and gloom but uh you know at the moment they're in open play it's not there aren't many players that have opposition on red alert so but we'll we'll see um, we'll see the partnership point is an important one because Zanzala and Bogle is a, a very different prospect from Evans and Bogle and that's not a criticism of Evans who I think oh, no. his no. work rate has been phenomenal but you know you saw it against Doncaster he had two or three chances that a, a striker who had a bit more confidence you know maybe would have had the composure to have taken those whereas he he's he's almost putting so much pressure on himself you know he's snatching at, at chances uh, but he will get there but at the moment he he perhaps just needs it's the old it's the old cliche isn't it he needs one or two to just get kind of going off his ass or something just to get him up and running a bit well, the thing with will evans is interesting that but he's been brilliant i've been really impressed with him he's his work rate is is terrific he puts himself about and fitness wise it won't be a problem him playing so much but remember this is his first proper season in the football league and and mentally that is going to be draining so ideally you'd like to probably take him out the firing line for a bit because it is it's it's non-stop and this is his first taste of it and you you don't want him getting burned out either so it'll be interesting how they use Zanzala probably Lewis Collins is the other option isn't he up top whether he comes in at some stage over this this period because that's the part we sometimes forget. Physically, Will Evans is is a machine, isn't he? But sometimes you just need a, a game on the bench just to re- refresh the mind and you know have a different role and you know put himself about for in the half hour role and that be that be interesting. Well, I'm going to finish with a, a festive question for you, Chris. So you know you get to speak to the players and you get to speak to the coaching staff on a a regular basis. So if you had to invite one of them to join you for Christmas Day at Kerwin Towers, uh, who would you be having around for turkey dinner and all the trimmings? Who am I punishing by having to sit and listen to me uh, <laughs> prattle on? Yeah, um, I'd be Scott Bennett, wouldn't it? It's always got to be Scott Bennett. You, you know what you get with Scott. He'd, he'd, he'd arrive with a few few cans of doom bar when he's... Uh, <laughs> it'd definitely be Scott. He'd be good, good company and he'd also... You'd think, where, where's he gone? And he'd be... Um, yeah, he'd, he'd just be doing the unseen work. He'd be doing the... He'd be doing the veg when he peeling the potatoes. veg, yeah. And he'd uh, yeah go off and do the washing up. He's uh, yeah he's just a grafter, isn't he? 
So no, and lovely, lovely man as well. Lovely. That man. that is a very, very good answer. You're to be congratulated for for that one. Um, and and Martin, um, in our big Christmas special that as as listeners are hearing this will be out in a week or so time. The the full panel explore our favourite county elevens. Um, I won't get you to go through all of your team. Apart from anything else, you'd pro- probably spend an hour talking about which formation you'd choose and, you know, uh, the, the tactical approaches. But who would be the first name on your team sheet? That is tough. That's Scott Bennett, probably. Like, uh, you know, after he's been to, to Christmas for dinner, he'd probably come around mine. But I'd like everything he brings to the team. Can I have more? Hey, go on, I'll, I'll let you have one as a bonus. Aaron Lewis. OK, there we go. For, purely for his versatility. And technical ability, yeah. There we are. Good, good. All right. Well, thank you, gents. I'm going to throw some quickfire questions at you to wrap us up. So, uh, Chris, favourite player of the season so far? Bit of a boring one, but it's probably Mickey, isn't it? He's um, he's dependable. <laughs> he's got the throw as well, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's probably 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 Mickey Dimitri. Martin, your player of the season so far? So it's a toss up between two, but I'd, I'll probably just go Mariah Welsh for maybe a bit of that disruptive attacking output. Very good. Uh, where are we going to finish this season? Uh, Martin, you first. 15th. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Chris? Yeah, in that sort of mid-table sort of area. It's one of those, I think, they'll spend the second half of the season saying, well, you never know, we could put a run in and be in the playoffs. But it, it's, yeah, I think it, if we, the aim when Coughlin arrived was to have a nice boring end to the season, wasn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, where, where they're just safe and I'll be, I'll be trotting out all that stuff in the Argus about players playing for contracts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will we will read it all with relish, I'm sure. Um, how about your favourite festive Newport County memory? Um, I'm sure, Chris, most of yours involve freezing your ass off somewhere on Boxing Day, having driven up, you know, and not having spent enough time with your family. So uh, which of those would you like to go for? Well, to be honest, it's, I, I don't have any because since I um, became a one-man band at the Argus, it, there's usually been COVID disruptions in the um, the festive period. And even even this season, I won't I won't be get the, the the fixture hasn't been kind, has it? Boxing Day at yeah. Wimbledon, it's uh, ruined it for a fair few. And I, I'm 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 bottling that. I'm doing I'm doing a Dragons against Cardiff. So so there we are. I know that's not a good answer for a Newport County podcast, but there we are. <laughs> Go on, Martin. I'm sure you've got a better one you can give us. Well, not really. Um, I've I've never been able to get to a, like a Boxing Day fixture until sort of last year when I got I rearranged the whole Christmas for everyone. And then it got cancelled. Well, there we are. Um, That more or less wraps it up, I think. Um, Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, we wish you all the very best for a restful Christmas and a wonderful 2023. Uh, Do get in touch if you have any thoughts. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for the 1912 Exiles. All that's left is for me to thank Chris and Martin. Thank you both very much, chaps. No problem. Thank you, Ed. Uh, And to thank you for listening. Stay safe. And as always... Keep it counting. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.